So a year after Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park was shown on TV, it was shown in theaters in a different format, the format that we're all familiar with now through uh, Kissology 2, which is Attack of the Phantoms. That was an actual movie release in theaters. And 20 years later, Kiss were back in theaters with another film. This one they didn't play quite uh, as central a role in, but they did appear in it. And, of course, it's Detroit Rock City. Gentlemen, what do you guys think of this movie? Love it. Absolutely love it. One of my faves. Uh, something I like to show people that are non-Kiss fans because they always seem to like it and they seem to appreciate the band a little bit more. It's kind of like my Kiss meets the Phantom. Say more. Well, okay, I became a fan again in 1998. And, uh, you know, and when I became a fan, it was, you know, almost kind of like it was in the 70s, not so much in what Kiss were doing, but in the fact that Kiss was everywhere. You know, they just had a new record out when I became a fan, that being Psycho Circus. You know, they were on, uh, I remember, not a week after I was, you know, became a KISS fan, you know, it's, you know, Halloween night on Fox, we had, you know, you had Millennium, I think the night before, and then Halloween night you had them on Mad TV, and then the Psycho Circus from Dodger Stadium uh, special, you know, and then a year later, KISS in theaters, Detroit Rock City. Uh, And in between that, you had the Super Bowl. It was a great time to be into Kiss. The original lineup were together, and it was really exciting. Still riding high on the the whole reunion thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then right about that same time, of course, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but, you know, professional wrestling has always been a very central thing in my life. You know, as part of my family's, the way, you know, my dad was a professional wrestler and whatnot. So, of course, I was always a big fan. And, you know, it was about the time of Detroit Rock City, I believe, that on WCW nitro they announced that not only was kiss going to perform there was going to be their very own kiss wrestler you know that's right so around that time you know kiss was everywhere you know we had a live four coming out the next year which we all know didn't happen um but you know kiss was huge and then this thing detroit rock city comes out and it's you know my friend and i who got me into this you know we're seeing the previous stuff and not only is it a kiss movie but we're both, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old at the time. So, you know, you've got the whole puberty thing happening. And, you know, you've got that one shot with the uh, take its trip in the car. And, you know, there's a lonely girl walking on the side of the street. That's how horror movies start. But, man, that's how porno movies start, too. <laughs> you know, And it, it just made us want to go see it even more. And, that, you know, that movie, I never actually got to see it in theaters, unfortunately. Oh, man. You know, really? It wasn't my, yeah, my parents, they weren't really the type to, to you know, not let me see something because of a rating or anything. They were always pretty, you know, he he's 13, 14 years old. He knows it all anyway. He knows more than we do probably, so, you know, in, in that day and age or whatever. And But it just, the cards never came into play. And, you know, as, you know, pretty well known, the movie was not a rousing success. You know, it was a pretty much a box office bomb. And um, so... It wasn't in the theaters for very long, at least around here. So I actually – it came out on pay-per-view, and my dad being like many fathers in America, I'm not paying 350 Wait till it's on HBO. you know. <laughs> so I actually saw it maybe a year, year and a half later on uh, Stars. It came on one night, and uh, it was one of the most vivid experiences of my life that I remember because I tried taping it, and – a gigantic rainstorm came through and knocked out my satellite dish service for about 30 minutes in the middle. Ah, oh, jeeps. I stayed up three extra hours that to catch sucks. the West Feed. Yeah, I catch, caught the West Feed three hours later. Uh, fell asleep during it, but got it on tape and watched it the next morning. And 
to be honest with you, I probably watched that movie 50, 60 times in my life. I absolutely wow. adore it. Great movie. Very cool. I saw it in the theater. Uh, seating was not an issue. No, it was not. I saw it in the theater, too. I saw it twice, and uh, you basically had your pick as far as where to sit. Yeah, and, and you know, it was you and your friend and, like, ten other KISS fans. I actually saw it twice. Once my cousin and I went, who's a longtime KISS fan from back in the 70s, and uh, I took my three nephews and my girlfriend at the time, and we all went and saw it. And both of those times, we were the dominating force in the theater as far as crowd. Wow. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a well-received movie. And I guess sort of the question is, who's the audience for it, right? Well, yeah, it's like Paul mentioned in... Uh in Cosology 2 commentary, if you listen to the commentary track, if they had promoted it more as a coming-of-age teenage flick, more along the lines of an American Pie or something like that, the movie would have been received so much better. But instead, it was promoted as the Kiss movie, which turned a lot of people off. And, you know, they tried, I think, to make it a movie that's sort of a wacky, um, offbeat comedy. Like, they had... I remember the poster. I got a bunch of those posters somewhere, but the poster was sort of... um, you guys familiar with the movie? It's a mad, 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 yes. mad, mad yes. world, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of had that kind of poster with like all the different characters who are in the movie coming, mm-hmm. like pouring out of Cobo Hall, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's a great poster. It's a fun movie. I definitely pref- of the two movies I prefer uh, Phantom of the Park, but it's really apples and oranges. It's not fair to compare. Um, I saw it twice in the theater as well. Once with a bunch of friends who are Kiss fans, and then. Once with my brother, he was sick, or he'd just been in the hospital, actually, but uh, he got out that day, and I, uh, as like cheering him up, he wasn't feeling good, I brought him to see uh, uh, Detroit Rock City, and we both had a really good time. It's a, it's a harmless, fun movie, and um, it is great footage of Kiss at the end. They do a, an amazing job recreating the, the Love Gun show. Well, I don't know, uh, Ken, you saw the Love Gun show. How real was that? There, there was one friend of a cousin... They came over and uh, they were like, wow, they do all this in one song? Right. And I said, yeah. no, no. It's it's kind of like the whole show spread out. Right. You know, I, I had to explain to his girlfriend that, like, uh, they don't spit blood, blow up everything, and breathe fire in just the one song. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that concert sequence actually contains probably my biggest pet peeve in all of history, so to speak. And that is that hideous, ugly logo from the Hot in the Shade tour. Oh, right, yeah. When I see that, I absolutely hate that logo. I like the fact that it shined nice and bright during the Hot in the Shade tour. Other than the great lighting behind it, that logo is absolutely hideous in my opinion. It's it's the K. Yeah, the K is kind of off. But I actually have that in my backyard. (laughs) <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, the the S's are kind of weird, too. They're really small. It's a weird logo. It really is. I mean, they got the eye right, but it's kind of hard to screw up an eye. Yeah. But, right. I was in charge of the eye. Oh, you did a great job. Thanks. Good job, good, yeah. good job Ken. Um, in, in all seriousness, one of the cool things about it is uh, it kind of took me back to my teen years. Um, 
as you know, it uh, takes place in a suburb outside of Cleveland, and I was from up around the Ashtabula area of Ohio, which is not far from where the movie's supposed to take place, and they, they did a pretty good job of uh, capturing uh, all of that, especially the Kmart clothes. But all in all, I think it's a very fun movie, and I think it's great to turn non-KISS fans on to. Cool cameos in that movie, too. I think um, Paul's then-wife is in it. She plays one of the mothers against the music yep. of KISS. Of course, uh, Shannon Tweed is in it, and she, she has a great role in the movie. It's a really fun was, flick. Ron Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. The, the most important of all. Mr. Ron Jeremy as for a strip club MC. But there's, uh, there, there, you're right. There are a lot of great cameos in it. And a good soundtrack. Absolutely. That's, yes. Yes, great soundtrack.
tell you what else too though i think i might be the only kiss fan in existence that does not hate nothing can keep me from you as a matter of fact paul stanley that might be in my opinion paul stanley's greatest vocal moment is nothing can keep me from you i actually thought that they were going to do it at, at symphony i sort of figured that, that would be a song that they would throw in there and um that at the symphony good, show that would have been a good move yeah it was a great it, song i well i mean the other thing is that that like it was kind of just part of the whole excitement of the time i mean you had the psycho circus album as you mentioned and then like in your face was a bonus song and um and then nothing can keep me from you came out as a single i think i have it somewhere and it was the next kiss song you know and there was still talk around that time of um you know maybe they would record another studio album and nothing can keep me from you is a kiss song you know love it or hate it it's part of the kiss catalog i thought it was fine i, agree. I love it yeah. It's a good track. So our second special guest tonight on podcast is Adam Rifkin. He is the director of Detroit Rock City, and uh, you two guys got a chance to talk to him. Let's hear what he had to say. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce you to Adam Rifkin. He's the director of Detroit Rock City. He was also involved in such films as Underdog, Look, Small Soldiers, The Chase, and a personal favorite of mine, Zoom, and of course, Mouse Hunt. We're here to talk to you about a film that's turning 10 years old, celebrating its 10th anniversary, Detroit Rock City, and all KISS fans are probably familiar with it, or should be. Uh, what are your memories of that film and making that movie? Well, that was a really great experience, making that movie. We literally, from the time we had our first meeting at New Line Cinema, where we, we, where we presented the package to them, uh, to the to the day we set foot in Toronto and started pre-production was about three weeks. And then about four weeks later, we were actually shooting. It was a very, very fast-moving train. The reason being, um, KISS was on their reunion tour. They couldn't have been um, hotter again. And the momentum of that um, got the movie greenlit right away. We took um, the script and Gene was one of the producers, and he, you know, along with him, he brought you know, the entire Kiss um, uh, Empire uh, as part of the package. And um, the other producers and myself, we all went to New Line Cinema. We met with Michael Luca, and he greenlit it basically that day. And we had to move fast because Kiss was only available for one day in the middle of their tour to shoot the concert scene. So we kind of had to back the entire schedule into the day that KISS would be available to shoot the concert scene, and that's why we had to move so fast. But it was great because nobody had time to think or second guess uh, or anything like that. It just uh, it was just go, go, go. Now, their scene was filmed up in Canada, correct? Correct. Now, how did you get involved in this crazy KISS world? First, let's talk about how you got into KISS on your own, and then how do you meet Gene Simmons, and how does that ball start rolling? Well, I always loved, when I was a kid, monster movies. 
you know. Um, that was my first love when it came to movies, monster movies. And then that eventually led uh, to uh, an appreciation of all kinds of movies. But I've always held a special place in my heart for for monster movies, particularly the old Universal monster movies. That's what I originally fell in love with. Um, so in the 70s, growing up, you know, Kiss was kind of like, it was kind of like a bunch of monsters in a way, you know what I mean? Particularly Gene, so I kind of appreciated yes. that. They were they were a big part of the sort of seventies pop culture landscape, which was you know just a part of my upbringing. As uh, I got older and as I started to become nostalgic for that period of time in my youth, I mean, Kiss was definitely a part of my nostalgia for the seventies and for seventies uh, pop culture. Um, and so what happened was. I uh, I had never intended to do a Kiss movie, per se. Um, I was doing some other kinds of movies, and one of the movies um, that I made called The Chase, the assistant editor, had written a script on spec called Detroit Rock City about four kids trying to sneak into a Kiss concert, and he asked me if I would read it. And I read it, and I thought it was great. But I figured he'd never get it made, because Kiss weren't together, and I assumed the music would be extraordinarily expensive, and um, I just uh, I just thought it was a great writing sample for Carl, Carl Dupre, who wrote it. Um, cut two years later, um, I was uh, dating a producer named Kathleen Haas, who um, became involved in a, uh, a project. She had been working at a film finance company, and... Uh, a project hit her desk that had um, that was written by Carl Dupre. It was being produced by Barry Levine and Gene Simmons, and it was called Detroit Rock City. Uh, Carl, in the interim, when I was off doing other things, had gotten to Barry Levine, who used to be Kiss's photographer, and then became a producer himself. He got it to Gene. Gene attached himself, and they had a package, and they went to the company Kathleen was working for. Um, anyway, Kathleen left that company and joined the production to become a producer on the production as well. And she said to me, hey, this really cool movie just hit my desk. You should uh, read it and consider directing it. She had no idea that I knew Carl, had no idea that I would read the script years earlier. And I said, I love this script. I would love to direct it. So I, I met Gene the next day for lunch, which is pretty cool. Gene's a great guy. Um, he um, and I got along great. He signed off on me, uh, and we then were a package. And so we then went to New Line Cinema because we had heard that Mike DeLuca was a KISS fan. And um, lo and behold, he was, and he greenlit the movie right then and there, and we were off and running. Now, that's synchronicity. That's absolutely amazing. Now, um, on the on the set, how were how were the rest of the band? You, you've already spoke about Gene. How was, uh, how, how, how was KISS on the set? that day that they had to shoot? They were great. I sort of liken them to the Marx Brothers more than a rock band. I mean, they are all just a bunch of really funny, curmudgeon-y old guys. You know what I mean? They all had their shit. (laughs) Uh, You know, there was... I mean, if you were in the room backstage, you know, there was nothing cool about them, per se. I mean, they're a bunch of, like, goofy old guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was cool. That made them cool to me, you know. And they could not have been more respectful. They could not have been more eager to do what was required to make the sequence in the film great. Gene um, 
you know, uh, said early on, you know, listen, he said to his bandmates, you know, listen, this is going to be, and Paul too, by the way, I mean, um, this, this concert sequence is going to kind of be, you know, what's best for the movie, not necessarily how we would do a concert for real. So Gene was very specific about, you know, telling them all to listen to me and what I needed them to do for the movie. And, and they were, could not have been more respectful, could not have been cooler, could not have been more professional. It was really a, it was a crazy day because we had a lot to do in a very short amount of time because we only had them for the one day. And we had 10,000 extras there. It was a really crazy day. But it was fun, and it went very smoothly. Do you think that they got um, a sense of how this would actually show them in such a good light and, and how it actually would be like a tribute to them in a sense? Do you think they got that? Oh, without question. That's why Gene attached himself to the screenplay early on and wanted to produce it and give us all the the Kiss likenesses and Kiss music and, and all the Kiss you know trinkets and everything that we used that came from Gene's garage. Um, that he he knew you know very very well that this movie was going to put Kiss in a in a fantastic light. Just the way you know, and it was not you know it's not a coincidence. I mean, everybody kind of talked about the fact that what I want to hold your hand was for the Beatles. This was going to be for Kiss. You know, I was going to mention that because there's a lot of similarities in that film to this one. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it was not by coincidence. I mean, everybody loves that film and. And we thought that, you know, and it was originally Carl's idea, you know, that uh, this could be, you know, kind of the Kiss version of that. That's excellent. How the the uh, opening credits, there's everybody from Mad Magazine to Jimmy J.J. Walker to Hugh Hefner. There's uh, pretty much everybody, yeah, Sonny and Cher, pretty much anybody that was anybody in the 70s is in that. He literally had to get through to Steven Spielberg to get approval to use the dog poster. I mean, when Tim wants to get something done, it gets done. And so he went insane getting it done. I mean, Mad Magazine, the getting the approval, not only to use the Mad Magazine imagery in the title sequence, but he also got them to agree to do a Detroit Rock City parody for an upcoming issue, which they never, they said they never do before they see a movie, but they agreed to do it because Tim was so persuasive. I mean, it was really amazing. That is amazing. Now, when the film came out, it uh, didn't have a huge box office, shall we say. There's a word for that. It's called Bomb. It totally tanked at the box office, uh, and everybody just thought, well, that was that, you know. Uh, it was it was the best premiere, though, I'll tell you, I've ever been to, and it was for my movie. I mean, it was incredible. The premiere was packed. It was the hottest ticket in town. Kiss performed live in the parking lot of the movie theater. They set up a whole stage. They did a full concert with Pope Pyro, Cheap Trick open for them, Everclear open for a Cheap Trick. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was an amazing premiere. And then that Monday, the, the movie made zero money. And, and like I said, we had to say that that was the end of the story. But unbelievably, once things hit DVD and cable and television, it took on this incredible um, cult status. I mean, it became a cult hit like I never could have predicted. And... And I'll say, I know a lot of films have tried to create um, cult success. Uh, they, they try to create cult success. Um, uh, and I will tell you from having attempted that myself in previous, with previous films, it doesn't work. It has to happen organically. People have to discover something themselves and spread the word, you know, in a genuine, organic, grassroots kind of way. And that's what happened with Detroit Rock City. And so, lo and behold, within a year, uh, 
of the movie coming out in the theaters and going away. By the time everybody had been aware of it on cable and DVD, it became this enduring cult classic that to this day, you have no idea how many emails and letters and MySpace messages and, I mean, just, I mean, it's incredible. Everywhere I go, that's the movie everybody's seen, that's the movie everybody watches over and over and over again, that's the movie that everybody turns their other, their friends onto if they haven't seen it. Uh, it's really exciting and it's, and I'm really thankful for the fans who've made it. Adam, in Cosology Volume 2's commentary track, Paul Stanley mentions that he believes if Detroit Rock City was promoted more as a coming-of-age teenage flick and less as the Kiss movie, that it would have done so much better in the box office. What's your take on this? Well, that's, what, that's, what, that's why it happened. What happened is that the way the movie was marketed was that it was the Kiss movie, right? Which I said before the movie came out that I think that's a mistake. I said the Kiss fans are going to see it anyway. Market their movie for people who hate Kiss. Market it in a way that Kiss has nothing to do with the movie. Because just make it a rocket teen comedy set in the 70s. Because, um, like I said, you know, the Kiss fans already are aware of it. They're already going to go. You've already got them. Now get to people who wouldn't otherwise go to see it. That's, you know, the easy way to market the movie was put Gene Simmons' face on the cover of Rolling Stone, and so it became the Kiss movie, right? So, in its, um, in its other forms on DVD and cable, people started to discover that this isn't just a movie for Kiss fans. This is a movie that anybody could like because, you know, the Kiss, you know, needing to get to the Kiss concert could be substituted for anything that people really want, you know. So suddenly all these non-Kiss fans um, made the movie into a hit. I mean, I tell you, if just Kiss fans liked it, it, it wouldn't have been a hit on cable and DVD either. It's all the non-Kiss fans that really ultimately made it the cult hit that it's become today. Absolutely. Now, have you done any work with any of the other guys that were, you know, Lex, Trip, Hawk, and Jam? Have you continued to do any work with any of those guys? I work with uh, Giuseppe Andrews, who played Lex, uh, constantly. He's been in just about everything I've done since the Detroit Rock City. Most recently, he <coughs> co-starred in a movie I made called Look, which was a drama that was all entirely shot with surveillance cameras. Um, it's a movie that explores the conceit that the average American is captured on camera more than 200 times a day. And it follows several interweaving storylines, um, but the entire movie was shot from surveillance cameras. And it got a great, um, it, it did really great on the art house circuit, and it got great reviews, and it won a bunch of film festivals. And now it's uh, going to be a series on a major premium cable network. I'm not allowed to say which yet because they haven't made the official announcement yet. Does it start but with H? It does not start with H. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> there's a couple others you can guess, you know, okay. but uh, it doesn't start with H, but it's very close uh, okay. to the H. Uh, so, um, uh, so we've shot 11 episodes. We're in post-production on that right now, and Giuseppe Andrews is in that as well. He was in the movie. He's in the show. And also the guy who plays Elvis, the security guard, uh, Miles Dougal, he's in the movie and he's in the show also. He he would have made a great Wolverine. If we ever do a Wolverine parody, Miles Dougal will definitely be playing the role. Excellent. Now, this film has a few strange little distinctions. This was the first movie to be released on DVD before VHS. The word fuck, fucking, or fucker is said 83 times. Did you have to wash your mouth out after that? <laughs> Well, I will tell you that well, there was a period of time right before the film was released that the studio wanted to recut it to release it as a PG-13 movie. 
Uh, and word got out. Uh, word got out uh, about that. And and Harry Knowles at Any Cool News wrote a uh, an open letter to New Line Cinema saying, please don't emasculate this film. And and it worked. And they and the studio listened and didn't change it. So that was cool. Very cool. Um, now there's the uh, band in the movie was named Mystery. Yeah. And. Uh, about two years ago, I was at J.C. Penney and I saw a shirt that had the mystery logo on it. Are you aware of that? Of course. There's a company in San Diego that does skater uh, and, and skateboard, uh, uh, skateboard and skateboard wear. They stole the logo. <laughs> this company's called Black Box, I think, or Black Market. I don't remember which. Anyway, we told them we're going to turn you guys in if you don't give us free shit. So we uh, we got a lot of free stuff. We'd love that it's out there. I have no, you know, I would never want to actually put them, you know, stop them from getting the the Mystery logo out there. I think it's great. It it, it really caught my eye. I was surprised because it seemed like, you know, as you said, the the film when it opened went nowhere, and it was like this stuff keeps bubbling up. I was at, about a year ago. I was at Disneyland with my um, niece and nephew, and I had a Mystery T-shirt on, and uh, one of the just workers there who sells you ice cream looked pointed at my shirt when I was buying the ice cream and said, Detroit Rock City, I love that movie. And without even thinking about it, I just said thanks. And she said, why would you say thanks? I said, oh, I, I actually directed it. I mean, I was real embarrassed that I had done it. So she said, no, you didn't. I said, uh, I, I, you know what, I actually did, believe it or not. She said, no, you didn't. So anyway, it was just kind of a funny little moment that I lived as a result of that T-shirt. So. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your uh, cameo in the film. Well, my cameo was supposed to be the pizza man, but uh, the uh, I was ultimately at the very last second not allowed to step in front of the camera because legally I was only allowed to work in Canada as a director. And when I was about to employ myself as an actor, um, the uh, the the union came down on me and said you can't step in front of the camera and work as an actor. So I gave that role to the prop man. Um, so that's who plays the pizza man. But in uh, in its place, the uh, production designer painted my face on the on the billboard for the Nail Strip Club, which you really barely see in the movie. I mean, you can see it for just a second. But my face is uh, out front on the body of a big muscle man outside of the Nail Strip Club. Now, do you try to sneak yourself into every movie? Sometimes yes, yeah, sometimes no. I uh, I'm not in look, and I'm not uh, in the series look. But I, I take myself in sometimes here and there just for. Just for the fun of when you guys did the uh, concert scene, how many people did you have up there? There's a report of 8,000. Is, is that accurate? We paid for 500 extras, and we put the word out to all the KISS fans to please come and be a part of this concert scene. For about two hours, we had 10,000 people. They all left pretty quickly after they heard the same song three or four times. So then we were left with our 500 at the end again for the rest of the day. But for those, 10, for those two hours, we got all those big shots, so it worked great. What the hell's the story of that big-ass tongue, that uh, huge Godzilla-like tongue? It was gigantic. Um, and I, um, I had contacted some buddies of mine at a company called K&B, and they do special effects makeup. Greg Nicotero is one of the guys who owns that company. I told him I'm doing this uh, movie and I need to be able to do a shot out James Timmons' mouth as he's sticking out his tongue. And I said, we don't have money, the, the, it's not in the budget, you know, but it would just be a cool shot. Are there any guys in your shop that are huge Kiss fans that would, you know, love an opportunity to be a part of this movie? So he said, oh, my God, you know, so-and-so over here is the biggest Kiss fan in the world. 
So he built this song. We flew him to Toronto, showed up with the shot. We shot the, uh, showed up with the prop. We shot it. We put it in the um, car. And when we screened the movie for the studio, they said, cut that shot out. That shot's gone. So we were doing a big test screening a couple days later. So I just left it in for the test screening because I just had a feeling it would play well. And when that shot came on, the audience erupted in such a cheer that the studio agreed, okay, you can keep that shot in. I can't believe they'd want to take that out. You know, you know that's Hollywood. You know, there's a million stories like that. You know? Right. Now, how, how did the film do in, the, in front of the test audience? Well, that's what's funny. The test audience... Um, the test screening went so well, it screened so hot on the scores, that that's why, um, we, you know, with all the music that's in the movie was our, our uh, temp music. We knew we could never afford it all. The budget, the music budget was $500,000. Um, after that screening, the, the scores were so high, the studio said, just pay for all the music, you know, just, just whatever it costs. So then in one decision, the budget of the music went from 500 grand to 200, uh, to 2,500,000. So, I mean, that's how uh, confident they were in the movie. Um, but ultimately, you know, they actually agreed after the movie was released that they should not have marketed it as a Kiss movie. But, you know, it was too late, too late at that point. Right. Now, have you, or, or are you aware that there is fan fiction being written about these characters. As as no, I think that's great. I'm I'm absolutely serious. It's it's like everything in the world of Kiss just kind of takes on a life of its own. Like for example, Kiss did an album called Music from the Elder. It kind of didn't really do too well, or as you said, bomb. You know, <laughs> but uh, the fans have kept it going. Like there's comic books written about it, and short stories written about it, even a play made about it, and the same things happening with the characters from this movies. Folks are continuing their life. Well, you know what? You got to get me. You got to get me all that because I got to see that. That sounds fantastic. I'll, I'll try to find it for you. I was blown away. I'm like, now why would you write? fan fiction about these guys <laughs> but it, it just seems like everything in the world of kiss just keeps going whether even if they don't want it to <laughs> i love it well yeah listen you got my email address just send that to me if you can find it that'd be great i definitely will um now would you be interested this is a bizarre question would you be interested in making a sequel to this movie um no i don't think so um <laughs> i don't think this movie is is a, is a movie that requires a sequel some movies do. I don't think this one does because they 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 found their they 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 found their holy grail. They got into the concert. You know that's that's well, the end of the story. It seems like a lot of the uh, the fan fiction that you know anything that I saw. Pretty much the second movie is on the Kiss reunion tour, and the guys get back together after being separated for like. 30 years or whatever, or 25 years or however long it would have been. I'd love to read that. I think that'd be an awesome read. I just don't know if that would be a movie that I think no, would be made, no. but it'd be fun <laughs> to read, you know? Now, uh, we're also discussing uh, in this uh, movie special that we're doing, uh, Role Models, which had a lot of Kiss-centric uh, material added into it, and we're also discussing yeah. one of the greatest films ever made, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Have you ever seen it? Of course. <laughs> now, when you said greatest movie ever made, one of the greatest movies ever made, do you put that in the same category of greatest movies ever made, like Godfather Part Two? 
But you put that in, like, greatest movies ever made in the same category as, like, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah, the Oscars got nothing on this one, you know what I'm saying? It's more like the uh, Plan 9. <laughs> okay, that makes a little more sense. We are also interviewing uh, Dirty D, who is one of the characters uh, who gets kidnapped by the evil uh, Abner De- Devereaux. And uh, she has expressed interest in doing a sequel. And we figure, with your clout in Hollywood, you're the man to speak to about maybe directing Kiss Meets the Phantom 2. Call my agent, and, um, uh, <laughs> and he will promptly um, lose your phone number. I, uh, I, uh, you know what? I think the Kiss Meets the Phantom 2 would be an awesome movie uh, to rent. I don't know if I'm the right director for it. Okay. Well, Adam, uh, if, if there's anything you'd like to tell everybody, uh, we're, we we, we want to thank you for your time. And uh, we, we've really enjoyed Detroit Rock City. And like I said, I, I turned people on to Kiss through it. And it's it's kind of... A great film, and it really encapsulates a lot of my uh, buddies and my experiences back in those days. Well, thanks, man, and I do want to say uh, to anyone out there um, that made the film a cult hit. It really means a lot to me, and thanks so much to everybody. All right, good stuff, man. Thanks a lot. Cool, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. I got a question. Okay. Uh, honestly, okay? Yeah. Did you get choked up with the drumstick? Um. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did. I thought that was a cool moment, and it was a cool moment for Pete too. Right. Yeah. I listened to the commentary for Detroit City, and when the when Pete got to throw the the drumstick and uh, uh, what's his name? Sam. Uh, Jam. Right. Jam. Yeah. Jam. I think Sam Huntington. Right. Right. When yeah. when Jam yeah. catches it, when the drummer catches it, I thought that was an amazing moment. It's one. Of, I think it's the most effective moment in the movie, and. I gotta say, it's the one moment that speaks to me most, uh, you know, most as a Kiss fan. I would agree wholeheartedly. To me, it's the punchline to the film. It's the yeah. kiss at the end. If yeah. if that if that was not in the movie, the whole rest of the movie wouldn't have made sense in my mind. Well, he's the heart of the film. Yeah. He's like he's kind of the character with whom we we relate most closely. Now, I have to say this: um, when this movie came out, when Detroit Rock City came out. This was before I was like posting on message boards and before there really was as active an online KISS community as there is now. But having said that, I feel like, you know, since the three of us are on a lot of the KISS message boards, don't a lot of the KISS fans fall into those categories of those kids in that band? Yeah, but, you know, if you – when the, the person who wrote it, he said that each one of the characters was a personification of a, of a <clears throat> KISS member. Hmm. Jam was Peter Chris. He winds up with Beth. Right. Uh, uh, Trip was an ace type character. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. The the um, Edward Furlong character was Paul. He winds up with a hot chick, you know, the lover. Yeah. And he's also got the fancy kiss underwear. So anyway, and then there's uh, the, the other fellow who is the bass player is supposed to be Gene, the one that gets Christine 16. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. And that I was by scene. design. I love the scene with Chongo. Yeah. <laughs> great, great stuff. Good cameo there by Mr. Stretch Armstrong, too. Oh, yeah. One of the unsung heroes of the movie. Right, uh, that's right. And it, I've actually used a couple lines from 
right around that park, uh, that part, uh, park, right around that part, you know, uh, uh, uh what is it, uh, such, such and such sucks dogs for quarters, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Kiss sucks. sucks. So I ought to kick your ass just for saying that. That's such a great line. Mm-hmm. There were, great yeah, line. there were a lot of moments in that movie that I feel like the if they showed that movie as the opener to a, a Kiss concert, it would it would go over gangbusters. Like, there's so many great lines that you know, like you and what army? The Kiss army. You know, it's like. <laughs> You, you get like 20,000, you know, uh, KISS Army members in an arena, show that as the opener to KISS playing, and it, bam, you know, you're solid. One thing KISS will never do is a bullshit disco song. Right, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, great moment. Great moment. So there's another movie we're going to talk about, and it's not a movie that features KISS per se. But they do play a very prominent role in the plot of this film. It's one of it's now one of my favorite comedies of all time, and it is of course Role Models. Guys, what do you think of this flick? Funny as hell. I think it's uh, great, and and what, what I love about it is at the end I actually got choked up. It's actually kind of inspirational towards the end, which is kind of surprising because it's pretty damn funny movie. Yeah, the. It seems to me the movie was good, but the parts where Kiss was featured were almost some of the best parts. And I'm not just saying that as a Kiss fan. I think one of the absolute funniest things, funniest parts in any movie I've ever seen is the the love gun part yeah. between uh, Sean William Scott's, Scott's character and his his little, uh, so to speak. When, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a brilliant scene, and I got and just going back, you know, to to what you were saying, Ken, like it is a little bit of a choke up uh, thing that you know the the role, and we won't we won't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen this movie. Definitely go out and rent it right away if you're a Kiss fan, or if you just love comedies. What am I talking about? If you're listening to this, you're a Kiss fan. Exactly. <laughs> but there um, you go. But you you must see this movie. It's a terrific flick, and it is a little bit of a choke up there because it kind of goes into. How Kiss are an inspiration. They're sort of this thing that make us feel good about ourselves on our own terms. It's a great, great movie and a lot of heart actually for like a for one of those like silly kind of like some bathroom humor sort of thing. It's a lot of heart in that movie. We have two, two, count them, two copies of Detroit Rock City to give away. And it, this contest is open to folks that live in the continental United States because we don't want to pay a lot for shipping. And what do they have to do to win, guys? To win a copy of Detroit Rock City on DVD, you must answer this question. What is the name and also the number of the girl who wins the Kiss Lookalike contest at Magic Mountain in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Now, you don't need to know the, the actress's name. Okay? You just need to know what number she is, what number contestant, what her name is. Right? And she wins the uh, the lookalike contest. And I'll even make it easy uh, in that uh, telling you that she is dressed like Peter Chris. She's wearing the, the Catman Peter Chris makeup. Okay? So name and her number the number contestant that she is, and email us at podkist at gmail.com, and we will pick two winning submissions randomly out of a hat. Include your name and address, or you will not be picked. 
That is right. You Winners. have one week from the day the show comes out. The show is released. Very good. Winners will be announced on message boards and on the next podcast. What more could we possibly add? Blues Clues. Blues Clues. Uh, the only other thing I could think of is there was once an episode of Full House that featured Kiss, but other than that. There's also an episode, I believe, of Mr. Belvedere, uh, where, or Benson, one or the other. WKRP. Where, uh, well, right, 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 right. The King of Queens has one of my favorite uh, Kiss moments, just little cameos. And they're trying to impress their fancy, you know, real educated neighbors or whatever, they're both lawyers or whatever, and she has like some... Uh, some real lottie die elevator type music, and he comes. Doug comes in and asks, you know, what what are we listening to? She said, it's the kind of stuff that you know that educated people listen to. We're trying to impress them, and he says that we couldn't get that done with Kiss Alive too. Nice, kick ass. Pretty funny. There's, a, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Benson where uh, the girl wants to go see Kiss. Yeah, she tries to run away. Right, probably a Creatures era, right? Wasn't it? No, no, no. no? I'm going to no, say no, no. Dynasty Tour. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong on my Benson history, but... What do you know about Benson? And what show of what show was Benson a spinoff? Soap. Robert Guillaume was the character who was in Want It Dead or Alive with Mr. Gene Simmons. Ah, Six Degrees. Oh, Simmons-ration. And we can now we can now connect uh, Gene Simmons to B. Arthur in uh, less than six degrees, thanks to our awesome guest Lisa Jane Persky. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. If uh, you have any suggestions, comments, or just want to talk to us, drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com be sure to check out James's other site which is called zombiefaq.com for all you white zombie fans it's the place to be a big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com they do a great job representing the hottest band in the land our good buddy Ken at his website which is called kissfansite.com Thanks for all you do for the podcast, your great graphics. If you have a KISS-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out KISS Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Christ, Vinny Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr. And the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS. And we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. Ferk is the mem- uh, li- the not, not just a member, that? but the leader of the Ron Jeremy fan club. I, I uh, <laughs> good God. The uh, Hedgehogs, right? The, the Hedgehogs. Isn't that the name of your club, Ferk? It's, it's, the, it's the Horse Dick Army. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You can edit that out, right? You can edit that <laughs> out. Yeah, you can totally take that out if you want. <laughs> wow.